Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Beautiful. How's everyone doing tonight? Beautiful. I have been up since 3.30 in the morning, so this could go pear-shaped really fast. Um, and also, um, speaking of pear-shaped, um, we haven't got any scriptures on the screen, so huh, you're going to have to use your Bible, how about that? But what we have done on our church app, um, if you want to um, open that, if you haven't got it, just go into your app store and look for New Spring Church Perth. Um, I've actually got the sermon notes there. So you could actually read the sermon notes, walk out and say, Dave, I don't even need you to speak. I'm out of here anyway. But we're not going to do that. Beautiful. We're going to start a brand new series tonight. It's only going to go for about three weeks or so. And um, if you're um, part of our church, we have some beautiful people from Rolly Stone. Th- uh, thank you so much for like joining us. So feel really welcome. And um, pass on my regards to Mick Stringer. He's an incredible gift to... He is, isn't he, Shane? We know him. He's awesome. He's an incredible gift to Perth. Um, during the morning services, we're continuing our theme through Matthew um, chapters 8 to 9. And the point of our Sunday morning um, series is to actually really lift the Christology and our understanding of Jesus as Yahweh in the church. We had the Sermon on the Mount, the most important three chapters in the entire Bible for us who follow Jesus Christ. That is our politics, the ordering, how we are supposed to embody the kingdom of God right here, right now. And we went through that and chapters 8 and 9 are just following on from that where we actually actually investigate what Jesus is up to as Yahweh comes down from the mountain. But tonight, we're going to start um, a series which is called um, Disruptive Witness. Disruptive Witness. Someone asked me what the series title was, and I forgot it for a moment there, but it's Disruptive Witness. And the particular title of today's message is called Unaware of the Current. Unaware of the Current. And I'm praying that this is going to make sense as we journey through um, tonight and for the next couple of weeks. This is one of those series where there's going to be information that's going to be shared. It's going to do you absolutely no good whatsoever unless we actually apply some of this stuff, pretty much like the entirety of Scripture. So um, that's going to be my encouragement. One of my best friends um, just so happens to almost be 80 years old. Did you know that? 80 years old. Can you imagine me? I'm like around 40 or so. And one of my best mates is turning 80 very, very soon. He is a man who um, has spent endless, endless hours with me. Um, He's indulged me uh, for a lot of times. We generally catch up um, every fortnight and uh, we either have lunch or coffee or something like that. His name is Trevor Wise. He's sitting right over there. He's one of my best friends. And um, I just love that you can actually hang out with someone and just sit there and just like not even say anything as like, it's all good. But Trevor is one of my best guys, and he just happens to serve as your, um, not your senior pastor, that's how tired I am. <laughs> Do you want the gig, Trevor? <laughs> it is going. At this stage, anyone in this room could be the next senior pastor. He, um, he serves as one of our elders, and he serves very well as one of our elders. And he's approaching 80, he's 80 in a couple of months. And um, over the last 10 years, I've said many times, I said, gee, Trev, you must have seen a lot of change in your life. I don't know if that's offensive or, or maybe just, um, it just seems pretty obvious to me. In my 42 years of living, there's been a lot of change, so I couldn't imagine 
80 must be a lot. In fact, I actually found a photo of um, when Trevor was born. This is what Hay Street would have looked like in the city. This is actually what it would have looked like. Imagine that, Trevor, when you were born, that's what Hay Street looked like. Incredible, right? A lot has changed. So on Tuesday we were out and I said to Trev, do you know what, Trev? Your birthday's coming up, you're turning 80. Gee, you must have seen a lot in your 80 years. A lot of things must have changed. And he said, yes, Dave, a lot has changed and in a very short period of time. And that's the reality, isn't it? A lot has happened, a lot has changed in a very short period of time. Have you ever met someone, especially those Christians, you know those Christians, and they come up to you and say, you know what, Dave, you know, when like I was younger and like a couple of years back when we were doing church, we used to do church like this, 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 completely oblivious to the fact that a lot has changed. Even in five years, a lot has changed. You know what, since 2019, a lot has changed, hasn't it? There's been a whole lot of change that has happened in such a short period of time. It was only like a generation or so ago that if you went into someone's house, they had one, one book. And their whole lifetime, the information they knew for their entire lifetime was in that one book. Now we've got these smartphones, and my goodness, how much information barrages us on a constant, like, like a lot has changed. We have so much information, there's so much technology, so much has drastically changed, and there are huge implications in every arena of life, and there are huge implications also when it comes to the church. We've certainly benefited um, from this technology and all this change as a church. There's been some things that are detrimental as well, but we've really benefited a lot. If you think about like actually sending the gospel around the world right now, incredible, right? Absolutely incredible. You know, the reality is I don't have to kind of like send someone a letter or something and say, you know what, we'd love to have a guest speaker come from over. We don't need someone to come in from overseas anymore, do we? Because we've got access to like so many um, amazing speakers. We no longer, really, I know some people do, but we really don't have to actually print um, Christian magazines and then go to the post office and post them out. We don't have to do that anymore, do we? We have like, like, like web pages and things like that. We can just send it out um, like that. If I want a Christian book, which I do, I've got my Kindle, and I can have it within seconds with a push of a button. You know, I hear there's a scholar or a theologian has got an incredible book that's out. I just need to say, you know what? I don't even have to buy the whole thing. I can just hit sample, read a bit and say, no, nah, I don't want to read it. Or actually say purchase, and I have it in a matter of seconds. Incredible. Um, Bible apps. I mean, you, you, a lot of you are using a Bible app right now, or even like the U version. How much access do we have to Bibles right now. And we can get different translations. You know, it's incredible. We must definitely be the most equipped generation of Christians that has ever been in the world ever so far. Wouldn't you agree with that? A lot has completely changed. The thing is, like, I don't know how much of the culture is changing because as the family of God, as these temples of the Holy Spirit, as we've been banging on about for the last year or so, as um, the people of God, our very presence is supposed to actually drastically shift. It's supposed to be a, be a disruptive witness to a world that is slumbering right now. Our very presence should be like one of those sharp, really out of the blue alarm clocks. Have you got one of those? Like, that? like you rock up the coals, it should be, you go to school, 
It should be like that. Like your very presence, our very presence when we go into places, it should be like, oh my goodness, what's just happened now? My eyes are suddenly open. Or we should be like, like, we, like everywhere we go, like we got these huge buckets of ice water. And wherever we go, we just go, and we just splash people and we wake them up. That's what we're supposed to be doing. In fact, that's how the gospel of Mark actually starts. It starts in that kind of fashion. It's like everyone's sleeping, everyone's slumbering. And Mark says, oi, wake up. This is the announcement of how Jesus became king. Wake up. Everything changes from now on. That's what we're supposed to be. That's who we are as the church, right? Can someone agree with that? I know I can't see your mouth. So. <laughs> but it appears that the buckets of ice have gone missing, it seems that somehow the alarm clocks have been set on silent. I honestly think I've been thinking about this for a while. Like, obviously, I'm here of almost up to um, finishing 10 years of being a senior pastor here, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years. But if the church is supposed to be a disruptive witness in the world, I honestly think, nah, no, let's back the track. No, like you, you, you just go and fight. We're not even there. Because my belief is that we need a disruptive witness in the church right now. Because there is a distraction that's happened in the church. And tell you what, it's in New Spring as well. But here's the way, I, this is the way I see things, all right? And it's happening, there, there's, since COVID, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in churches all over the world. And there's some common things. But my kind of posture and my kind of opinion is kind of like this. It's like, just because things are happening in other churches does not mean that stuff needs to happen in New Spring Church. You know? Like, if we understand the gospel, if we understand what it means to be the people of God, if we know our role and our place here as the people of God, just because there's indifference, just because there's apathy, just because there's distractions that are happening in different places around Perth or different places in Australia, different places around the world, does not mean that we need to be distracted. In fact, I think that we should actually aspire to actually be a, and remain a faithful church, the people of God. You reckon? How about we do that? If we're going to do anything, how about we do that? If we're going to do anything, let's just be a faithful community of God, a faithful family. Seems to me that Christians fall asleep. In fact, there's been a lot of Christians in New Spring who've fallen asleep. I know. I know. I'm your pastor. I know. And I think a lot of times we fall asleep, myself included, there are times I fall asleep because we're unaware that there is a cultural current which is in play. And part of today and part of the next couple of weeks is for us to become aware and more aware of this place that God has positioned us and understand the cultural current of where we are. For the last seven years, I've been catching up with a beautiful, amazing guy uh, whose name is Jules. And um, Shane, uh, for a large part of that, caught up um, as, as well. Started about seven years ago, there's a whole bunch of pastors wanted to catch up every Friday. I catch up with pastors on Tuesday mornings, and this was a Friday deal. And guess what? I'm the last pastor standing. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but for the last seven years, we've been catching up, and we've been just sharing our journey with Jesus, pretty much. And um, it's been the most amazing thing. He is a lot different to me, and um, so I've learned a lot. In fact, our church has been shaped a lot by Jules Burt. He um, oversees um, um, biblical values at Cary, so he's a great thinker. 
And um, we, we spent Fridays just really grappling with how we're supposed to live this gospel in a world like today, in 2022, especially because he, he obviously works a lot with teenagers and young adults, and I just um, work with a whole bunch of children and young adults and adults and seniors, and like, so we, we kind of talk about that. So we're really just trying to learn off each other. And um, last, um, last term, I was um, kind of like lamenting a bit, saying, man, this is like a futile job. Like, it's, like, it's so hard to get like, Christians to understand the gospel and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, having a good old, like, pastor whinge, you know, <laughs> pastor whinge, 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 like, get over it, Dave. And um, <laughs> he, he shared this quote um, to me from Soren Kierkegaard, obviously from decades ago. And um, I thought it was quite enlightening because I was saying like I don't think Christians understand the gospel and what Soren Kierkegaard was actually saying is actually yeah we we think they do so this is what he said it's actually in your church app and um, I'm sorry if it's offensive to you but here we go this is what he doesn't matter I'm going to say it anyway right (laughs) this is what Soren Kierkegaard his observation he said this the matter is quite simple the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything else except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you will say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. How would I ever get on in the world? Does that feel like, like an uppercut to anyone here? Like every time I read it, it's like, oof. It's like Tyson Fury just came in and I'm knocked out. <laughs> in some ways, I think Kierkegaard's right. The minute we understand, I think it takes a bit of work to understand. You know, there are certain things you can open up the Bible and, yeah, you can get that straight away. But the reason why we do have pastors and teachers and academics is for us to get greater understandings. But the moment you do understand, everything should change, you know. And that whole thing of understanding is what I want to kind of labor on a little bit today. I think there are two places that we should be thinking about bringing some understanding right now. The first place that may not surprise you is Scripture. Please don't memorize Scripture if you don't understand it. I would much rather you understand one sentence than memorize three chapters of Romans because I guarantee you, you're not going to understand it. In fact, if you want to understand Romans, one of the best ways to understand a book like Romans is to read it backwards because he kind of gets to his point in Romans 15 when he says, you guys have differing opinions, no excuse, welcome each other, and that's the point. That's the point. It's a book about unity. And how relevant is that in 2022? You guys have differing opinions. I don't care. Get on with each other. Love each other. Eat together. Welcome each other. Sit around the table together. (laughs) But if you don't get that, you're going to start misreading Romans, you know. Um, I think it's Scott McKnight. He wrote a book, Reading Romans Backwards. Um, Anyway, if you wanted to go look that. But the minute we understand, we're obliged to act accordingly. And my personal opinion is that I would hope that if you attend any church service at New Spring, it is dangerous for you. I would hope it is dangerous because we're going to be laboring to actually bring understanding of the Word of God. And the moment you and I understand, game over, it is over, right? Because as soon as we understand, we should be acting 
accordingly. Accordingly. If you've been part of the journey of our church, we have been endeavoring to the best of our ability, we're not perfect, but to the best of our ability to actually help all of us grasp how we are to faithfully improvise the drama of God in this generation. To understand the story of God so we can be faithful in living it out in this generation. There have been um, series that we've done that really helped us in that. One key scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's in your app if you've got it there. And if not, it's a very familiar um, passage. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Who likes the idea of being a masterpiece? Like we're God's poem. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The idea is that we as renewed, restored, redeemed, rectified people of God, that we are supposed to be his poetry, that we are supposed to live in a poetic way in that we improvise the drama of God, taking this act of God, this fifth act of God that we've been talking about, taking this drama of God in the direction and to the point where the scripture has told us to go, in the way the scripture is taking us. As a church, as the people of God, we are restored to being a new kind of humanity. That's a big point in the book of Ephesians. He has, by the victory of Christ, he has torn down the walls, the walls of hostility. He has made a new people. I am part of the new people. Thank goodness. Praise God for that. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, male, female. It doesn't matter. We're part of this new humanity. Romans 3, verse 22 to 24 says, This righteousness, everyone say righteousness. It's one of those words we don't really get. Unless you're like, I don't know. If, I've never heard it said, like, unless some guy's a bit out and say, Man, you're righteous, dude. Righteous. Oh, is that like an 80s thing? Righteous, man. I'm showing my age. <laughs> anyway, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all. To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's actually a better way to translate this than what the NIV has over here, when it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've heard that very often. We, we, we use the analogy of the arrow, you know, all have sinned and fallen short. That's not exactly what Paul means there. What Paul is actually saying, for because of sin, we have all lost the glory of God. We've lost it. What glory is he talking about? He's talking about the glory that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, where they were in this priestly role where they partnered with God to push out Eden into the rest of the world, which we call Shalom. So Paul is saying that you and I, because of sin, all have lost that glory. But, I'm so glad that there's a but, but now we're justified. Or a different way of saying it is that we're rectified. Another way of saying that is that we are made right. We are put right again in relationship with God, but also we are put right again with our original vocation as the people of God. Paul has taken us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Right? That glory which was lost, guess what? It's now restored. Could you imagine if we believe that? And if we lived in that? Oh my goodness. It is restored to all 
who believe. Romans 3, 20, I mean, that is, I mean, seriously, that's just good. I mean, I might be tired because I've been up since 3.30, but that is awesome. And because of that, now Ephesians 2 verse 10 is in play. Because of that. Because now I've been restored in that original vocation, which was lost in the garden because of sin. Now I'm rectified. I'm justified. Now I'm put back into that place. Now I can live out and improvise the drama of God in, a po- in a, this poetic way now. That's how it works, you see. Because that happened, now I can actually do this. I can partner with God in actually pushing out God's shalom into this world. Into this world. Or I can quite literally, as the church of Jesus Christ, we can Edenize the rest of this world. I mean, that is just so, so, so good. We're once again able to do That is just awesome. Like, I think to myself, imagine, like, imagine if we believe that, right? Just imagine, just, just, just for a moment, imagine if the church believed that. All right? Imagine the possibilities. Imagine the impact we could have. Imagine the demonstration we could make. Imagine. Biblically, we would call that repentance. That is what repentance is. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything's about the change, so rethink absolutely everything about your life, who you think you are, who you think God is, and what you think he's doing in this world, and understand you have a part to play. Repent, rethink, reimagine. Woo! That's exciting. That's ex- I mean, I'm hoping that this stuff is not new to you guys who've been doing it, because you make me cry. <laughs> I use this quote a lot by Fred Lehman, and because it just really articulates our role in this world. He says this, God purposes to set new creation in the midst of the old, redeemed people in the midst of the fallen, love in the midst of hostility, self-abasement in the midst of self-assertion, submission in the midst of domination to humanize and redeem fallen structures. That means, wow, I just used the cross to get my ticket. Now I'm saved. Now I can twiddle my thumbs. Not a chance. That is, that is not a chance. That is a Greek thought. That is not a Hebrew thought. Right? Not a chance. Now that we are God's people, he is working in and through us to reclaim what is rightfully his. And that is the most amazing privilege that we have. So to understand scripture, that's the first thing that we should be really laboring on. And that's why I said... Like you rock up to any New Spring service and my prayer, my hope, my aspiration will be that it is dangerous for you. I just went through that and that should wreck your world. That should wreck your world. It's wrecked my world. I'm thinking to myself, wow, imagine, think, oh my good, Oh my goodness. I don't know. That's amazing. Second thing that we need to understand is this, the current of our culture right now. The current of our culture. You know, Dave, back in my day, your day is nothing like 2022. My day is nothing like 2022. Nothing like it. But God has put us in this generation, and at some stage, we just simply need to come to terms with that. We really do. As David served God in his generation, and then he fell asleep, 
God has placed us in this generation. And he's smarter than us. He's smarter than me. He must know something that I don't. Because if he has placed us in this generation, he must have something up his sleeve. And I think that we need to come to terms that we've been placed in this generation for a reason, for a purpose. And maybe we need to just not be so distracted, but actually get on with what we're called to do. Especially if we've been rectified, if the glory has been restored. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if the plan that's articulated in Genesis 1 and 2 is still in play, I want to be part of that. Yeah? There are at least two major trends that are feeding our culture at this moment. Two trends of this cultural current. None of these are going to be surprising to you. The first one is this. The practice of continuous engagement in immediate gratifying activities, we can understand that, right? That resist reflection and meditation. Let me say that again. The practice of continuous engagement in immediately immediate gratifying activities that resist reflection and meditation. That is huge and huge implications. We don't think deeply about anything anymore. Studies tell us it takes 20 minutes of uninterrupted um, thinking to think deeply about anything. When's the last time you and I had 20 minutes without being distracted by something? But it takes 20 minutes before you and I start thinking deeply about anything. Right? Second thing, the second, um, second trend is that the growth of secularism. We understand that. Secularism is the intentional removal of God from society. All right, that's, that's kind of what it is. This is the very first generation, um, interestingly, um, the very first um, culture and, and generation that is intentionally advocating doubt instead of belief in any form of transcendency. First generation. You go study history, you go study other cultures, they have their deities, they have their gods. This is the very first generation that's actually saying, no, we're too progressive, we're too modern, we, we, we're just going to give that up. This is the very first generation, and like for, for us, we've got young kids, okay? Um, and if you are young, going to university and like, like, you need to understand, this is the very first generation that's advocating doubt instead of belief, all right? Churches need to be paying attention to this. There's a phenomenon which is happening around the world called deconstruction. And there are older Christians jumping up and down and pointing their finger and getting all these upset because younger Christians are deconstructing. I personally think that is awesome because if you're going to go through deconstruction, I want to be close enough to help you reconstruct because if you have the intention and the care to actually start deconstructing, which means to start thinking about your faith, the things that you've been grown up in, the things that you've been taught and you grow up and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, the things I was taught back then is not applying to the complexities right now. That simply tells me that you want to fully own your faith and I'm all for that. We want to be thinking Christians. I don't want to be a Christian that's like sort of say, oh, the young people, they're deconstructing. Let's run away. <laughs> I want to say I'm deconstructing too because there's things that I've learned along the way that actually don't fit and measure up and address the complexities that I have to live in right now. And more than that, I have genuine love for the generation, so I want to help you. I want to be close enough, all right? I want to help you think through this stuff. 
But this is the very first generation. We need to understand that. Parents need to understand that. This is not like, this world is not like how you grew up. Uh-uh. It's not even how I grew up. This is the first generation that's advocating doubt instead of belief. What is it about this continuous engagement paradigm? You will understand this, anyone who has a smartphone, all right? We are all now subject, well, most of us, um, are all subject to what has become known as the attention economy. Have you heard about the attention economy? It is a real thing. Go and Google it. Ironic, right? <laughs> attention economy. Go and Google it. <laughs> Modern media technology has two large goals, okay? This is important for us to know. First goal is to capture our attention. That's why you like to be in anything, all these ads pop up and all that, they're trying to get your attention. Second thing is to gather our data, okay? Um, this is not like, and I like sort of like, sort of in a hypothesis or anything, this is legit. Um, this is legit. What I don't believe this is, I do not believe that this is a scenario where we as Christians should allow fear to grip us and to paralyze us and try to escape this world. I don't think that's our role in this generation. I don't think that's wrong. If David served his generation and fell asleep, well, I want to be a David who serves my generation before I fall asleep. And that means I want to be completely engaged with what is happening in this generation, if nothing else, to help interpret it for you. All right? The current of our culture is ubiquitous. And not just ubiquitous, it is increasing in strength. And it goes largely unnoticed because we're swimming in it. It's like fish in water. They don't feel water. They're just in water. We talk about like, 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 like we're living in a consumer culture. We don't understand. We, know not, we have known nothing else. We have literally been born into a consumer culture. We are born, we are swimming in this cultural current. And that is why a lot of us are completely unaware that we're in this current. But as soon as you get some understanding, you see, your actions should change. So this current of our culture, it's ubiquitous, it's increasing in culture, and it largely goes unnoticed for most of us. And what it tends to do is something that we absolutely love. It buffers or it shields ourselves from ourselves. It does. It shields me from being alone with my own disturbing Thoughts. Does anyone love being alone in silence with your own thoughts? Is that not a scary place? Well, guess what? We have the technology, people. You no longer have to put up with yourself. You no longer have to sit in silence and think deeply about the things that you're scared about, the doubts and all the fears. You can just get onto Facebook or Instagram or any other social platform and ta-da, you just are immediately distracted and you no longer have to think deeply about anything if you don't want to. It buffers us from us. And the far-reaching fruit of this current is that deep reflection is lost. It's lost. Okay? Questions like, why do we exist? Questions like, what exactly is true are no longer even in our mind. 
And what tends to happen, and you, you might be able to identify certain people in your life or in your sphere of influence, what tends to happen is that people, because there is no longer any deep reflection, there's no opportunity to think about the transcendent things, obviously, the, the, the existential things, what tends to happen is that people get lost in their own micro-narratives. Have you ever encountered someone and they're just lost in their own little world? And they have no idea that your little, little world is so far removed from what is actually happening in the world. Do you know the reason why people get lost in their little world? Because we are all story people and we need a story. We excavate meaning and purpose from stories. And if we do, are not deeply reflective and we have not got access to a transcendent story, guess what? The only thing you and I are going to have is our little micro-narratives. And that is the reason why you find people caught in their own little world. That's what happens. I reckon we can have a lot more compassion when we actually understand the reason why. You know? Like, I, I want to like sort of say, okay, let's actually try to broaden... Let's try to get you out of your own little world, you know. We get distracted from the meta and we get lost in the micro. This is sounding really um, positive tonight, isn't it? <laughs> it's like dum, dum, dum. What happens when you get lost in the micro? You have no understanding, appreciation, or no engrafting into the macro, the transcendent. So the transcendent, the supernatural, the majesty, the wonder, the beauty of our good creator God is so far removed from us. And you can even rock up to church. You can rock up the New Spring. You can sit here in one of these chairs, listen to our amazing worship and all that. Come and listen to like preaching and all that. But if you're still stuck in your own little world, understand this. You have not got access to the transcendent. And when we do not have access to the transcendent, all of our meaning and purpose is found in our own little micro-narrative. And that's kind of what happens, you see. This is a bit of a diagnosis of our culture. Fantastic. I don't think a distracted church will ever be a disruptive witness in our world. And the thing which I am trying to um, encourage um, in this church, and the thing which I have in my mind is, how does a distracted church get disrupted? Because even as Christians, there are people in our church, and they're still caught in their little micro-narratives, but they think they're meta. You know? They're doing good things, but you know what? You're distracted. You know, they're doing things that look Christian, and they may be Christian if it was actually linked to the meta, but it's not. It's actually all about your micro-narrative, and your micro-narrative is masquerading as a meta-narrative. And we have people who are doing that. And it's very hard to convince them otherwise as well. So how does a distracted church become a disruptive witness? Because what I would love to see is some disruption happen in New Spring Church. Is anyone kind of got like a bit of a mischievous part of their nature? And they're thinking, ooh, I'd like to be part of that. You know, we've got all these Christians in New Spring Church and they're all like distracted. I would love to be something that disrupts that. Yeah, you do. Jules definitely does. This is how it happens, at least according to Scripture. God has this way of using a remnant, Okay. So we need a remnant from within who offer a disruption to the witness, a disruptive witness to the church. And that is what this series is about. This series is about calling out a remnant who would actually be mischievous enough for God, 
to actually run around the church and add enough disruption to people who are so distracted and living in these little micro-narratives and actually possibly provide some turbulence where people lift up their eyes and they start to see the majesty, the wonder, the transcendence of our beautiful Jesus. That would be what I would love to see. The thing is, I can't make you do it and you can't make me do it. I can't make you change the habits or the liturgies that you have in your life and you can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. So I'm hoping just to drop some ideas that would help us. First idea for this week or the big idea for this week is framing your life. Framing your life. Having frames in your life. Have you ever heard people say, you know what, I'm a human being, I'm not a human doing. Has anyone ever heard that? Sounds cute, right? Sounds reductionistic, and it's completely wrong. It's completely wrong. It sounds cute because it's memorable. Memorable things are portable, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's actually wrong because our daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly habits actually do shape us. They form us. It's called liturgy. It's called liturgy. Liturgy sounds like a really religious word. And it can be because there is sacred liturgy and there is secular liturgy. Liturgy is simply habits. We have liturgy in this church. You know, some of the things that you would probably recognize when you come in, there's coffee there. We did that on purpose. Did you know that? It's like, oh, that church does coffee. Yeah, because we need to try and keep people awake. No, just kidding. <laughs> but we come in here and we worship together. We have communion every week. The church I came from didn't have communion every week, but we're a church of God. We have communion every week, right? We come and we always open up Scripture and we sit under the Word of God. These are all habits that actually do shape us. Habits that are performed daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whether they are secular liturgies or sacred, they do shape us. But often we don't think about that, but it does shape us. James um, K.A. Smith said this, Our loves and imaginations are constructed conscripted by all sorts of liturgies that are loaded with a vision of the good life. To be immersed in those secular liturgies is to be habituated to long for what they promise. There is a vision of the good life that all of these habits in the world offer us, right? There's a habit which is going at the, at the moment. You know what? If I rock up to Optus, stadium every fortnight and watch the eagles there's supposed to be this promised land that we're going to get another premiership but not in 2022 i can tell you that much but what's the reason why that it promises a good life doesn't it all the habits in our life they promise us that but we don't think about that but everything that we do actually really does shape us a distracted church needs a disruptive witness a remnant who intentionally put liturgy, put practices, put habits into our everyday life to counter the sweeping current of this present culture. To be completely aware that there is a culture that is surrounding us and that culture is actually getting stronger. And we're not going to hide from it. We're not going to put our head in the sand. We're not going to be like these Christians who do not think. We're not going to be paralyzed by it. We want to engage in this world. But in order to do that, we need to frame some things. I've got this um, art exhibition. It's called Applause Encourage, as if you could put the first photo up. There we go. Look at that. Doesn't that look great? 
This is an art exhibition that went for 45 minutes, okay? 45 minutes, and um, it was created by an artist called um, Scott um, Pollack. And went for 45 minutes. Just shoot through just the next couple of, um, of slides there. There we go. So what he actually did, he invited these people to actually um, come for 45 minutes and to sit um, in this partitioned area. And um, what they were going to do is that they were going to watch a sunset, okay? So as they came in, the guests were checked in by a greeter. They were asked to turn off their phones. The phones were it's mandatory. You have to turn your phones off. They are not allowed to take any photos, all right? And they were ushered to their seats. And um, as the sunset went down, as the sunset like, happened, they all applauded. They all applauded. Interesting. Only artists can think like this. Is anyone arty in this place? You have no idea how much we need the artists. You have no idea how much we need the creatives. The church needs the creatives like nothing else. Who else would think about this kind of stuff? What was this artist endeavouring to do? He was intentionally reframing the attention of those who were involved. He was reframing the attention of those involved around a common sunset. So a common sunset became an event. Became an event. That was the whole point. And you may be wondering, why was that, why is that significant? It just sounds like one of those arty-farty people with degrees that can't get you any money doing something, right? We need the creatives. Let me tell you that. Reframing attention makes part of the world accessible to a person that was previously inaccessible. That's what reframing does. Reframing attention means that something which I was oblivious to, I now have access to that. That was the point of that exhibition, and it worked. It worked. To actually reframe attention. I wonder how important it would be for us as parents to reframe the attention of our kids. Or if you're in leadership, to reframe the attention of those who are following you. Or as a senior pastor, to reframe the attention because people walk by things all the time, but if we can reframe their attention, suddenly something that was inaccessible to them now becomes accessible. That's what reframing attention does. Happens all the time, doesn't it? It really does. A sunset. I mean, how common are sunsets? About as common as the number of days in your life. Pretty common, right? I mean, how would you describe a sunset? Do you remember when the sun set yesterday? I mean, someone asked Siri, please. Siri, when did the sun set? Would you ever say of a sunset, as he watched the sun lower itself and finally kiss the horizon, spreading its largeness into a grateful sky. The rich hues of the red blended with the oranges, the purples, and hints of pink that were painted across the sky. His spirit soared at the sight as he was transported into a timeless existence, ready for the protective blanket of night and of new dreams. Does that sound poetic? Man, I've still got it. <laughs> But do you have that kind of response when you look at a sunset? No. No, no, no. When's the last time you applauded a sunset? There is beauty, there is mystery, there is wonder that is inaccessible to us unless 
we add some things to our life and unless we actually start framing up some things and reframing our attention. This, by the way, is what spiritual disciplines is. If you want to know where we're going, I guess. I'm just trying to give different languages, different metaphors and trying to give a bit of oomph to these things that are ancient to us. This remnant is aware that there is a current in our culture, that there is an attention economy that is feeding the culture, and this remnant that I'm hoping will actually rise and surface in our church, this remnant intentionally reframes or frames their life so that they're transcendent, the things of God, which were yesterday inaccessible to you, will tomorrow be accessible to you. Just by that simple concept, how can you and I reframe some things in our life? Knowing that there is an attention economy, knowing that there is a fight for distraction, knowing that, not being ignorant of that, but actually wanting to engage and almost protest. You know what I'm saying? Like if we're going to protest some stuff, I reckon we should be protesting um, some of that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I think. And why should we do this? So that the things that are currently inaccessible to us become accessible. And like I said, I can't make you do that. Let me give you a great example. Psalm 19, just quickly turn there. The first six verses of Psalm 19. With that kind of concept in your mind, could you imagine what kind of framing would birth this psalm? What kind of, what kind of framing? This is what the psalmist says. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. What kind of framing of attention birthed that? Wow. The skies display his craftsmanship. That's amazing, isn't it? Oof. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its Heat, I'm about to come to an end, so Van, you can come up. Could you imagine the psalmist every single day going out, intentionally going out, every single day intentionally looking up, every single day framing his attention? And after that framing, it gives birth to a psalm. Thousands of years later, we are still pondering the heavens declare the glory of God. Man, that's amazing. It challenges me. When's the last time I did that? I remember last year we had a daddy-daughter camp and we went out to Pingley and um, Kayla was sleeping in a nice, warm sleeping bag. It was freezing. The bed was too short for me. I kept banging my head. Couldn't sleep. I go out and it's inescapable. That far out, the stars, it's like, they were there the whole time. They never departed. 
But at that precise moment, I was outside. And my goodness, the heavens proclaimed the glory of God. The next night, you know what I did? I was thinking, I'm going back to the city in two days. The next night, I want to make sure I actually go out. I intentionally did something. I went out and I allowed my attention to be framed so I can look up at the stars and go, wow. Even remembering, even thinking about it, even now in this moment, even remembering of it, I'm still caught. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness. reframing our attention. That is the point and the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines can easily become exercises, but they are supposed to be encounters. They are supposed to be encounters. And we live in a generation, like I said, a secular generation. For the very first time, there are advocates with big voices that are saying and that are persuading us to doubt instead of belief. This is the culture that we're in. We're living in a, in, a, in a trend of this attention culture where distraction is coming. We no longer have deep, reflective thinking. It takes 20 minutes without interruption to think deeply about anything. And because of that, we are not asking the big questions in life. We are not concerned with that. And because we are not reflective people, the transcendent, the majesty, the wonder of God, which is there, it is not accessible to us. But by intentionally reframing, how's that going to go with your life, I wonder? I wonder if tonight you go home from here and you may have just rocked up, so you know what, we're back to Sunday nights, I'm just going out of obligation. You know, I'm going because, you know what, we just really want Dave, someone to plug. It'd be nice if Dave had someone there to preach it. No, no, no. No, no, no. This stuff can change our world, guys. And if we are to be that disruptor witness in the life of the church, there is no other way it's going to happen. We want to encounter God. I want my life to just be in awe and wonder. I want to be caught up. I want to be left gasp again in His presence. Amen. Anyway, let me pray for you. And um, I reckon we'll end with worship. We might worship a bit differently. With that in mind, we might reframe our attention as we sing. But let me pray for you and um, team, if you can, maybe a worship song would be good. So God, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your kindness towards us. I ask Holy Spirit that you've spoken. I pray that there's been challenge and encouragement all at the same time. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead us this week, that you would lead us to places where our attention can be framed. Maybe that's going out into nature. Maybe that's doing what Trev does, getting on Larry and going for a nice horse ride. Maybe that's escaping the noise, leaving your phone at home and going out bush or going to a dam. Maybe it's simply tomorrow morning opening up scripture. Reading that psalm. So, wow, I want to reframe my life. So I ask that this day that you would actually lead us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.